Hey everyone, this is Randy from the Bunmy Chronicles podcast. I'm back again with a new episode to share with you. My next guest has been making a name for herself in the queer trans music scene in Chicago. She has caught the attention of the Chicago indie music scene and has received praise from music critics including the Chicago Tribune. Her name is Ellie Kim, aka Supernova. We first met several years ago through our participation with I2I, Invisible to Invincible LGBTQQIA Asian Pacific American group based in Chicago. It is through that group that we were both able to share our struggles with coming out and finding a community space that was affirming to our identities. We both talk about our experiences in this episode. I talked further with Ellie about her personal journey, including her music career, and even recently finishing medical school. Under the supernova name, Ellie recently released her second EP called American Queers, which has generated positive buzz here in Chicago. We spoke about the album and what she hopes to do on her next journey. I highly recommend listening to Supernova's American Queers EP, which can be found on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Music. It has become one of my favorite albums. So sit back and enjoy my latest episode with Supernova. Hello, everyone. This is Randy Kim from the Bunmy Chronicles podcast. So I'm here today with my good friend and very talented artist, uh, Ellie Kim, a.k.a. Supernova. So, Ellie, how are you today? I'm doing great. Yeah, so I was wondering if you can quickly, um, you know, uh, briefly introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, my name is Ellie Kim. I go by she, her, hers pronouns. Uh, I um, also perform as Supernova. I make queer pop music. That's awesome. And before we get into the music and also and also your other professional background, I wanted to kind of go back into how we first met. So I believe it was the end of 2013. And mm-hmm. we met at a potluck party that was hosted by I2I, uh, Invisible. I think it's Invisible to Invincible. Um, LGBTQQIA Asian uh, Pacific Islander group. Uh, and I remembered we connected immediately. And at that time, we were both not out in our identities, I, or at least publicly. We oh, weren't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I remembered that this was like the first space uh, that was queer and uh, that was LGBTQ plus and Asian Pacific focused and that was my first group and I and was that also your first space that you were in that was both yes it it was yeah I too I was uh definitely the first queer Asian space I was in um definitely the first place that I felt kind of at home um even before coming out how did you find um I to I um you know it's funny I think it was on uh like a center on Hall's what website of like other like things like on the calendar and it was like listed on there. I know there's been like now a lot of stuff between <laughs> Hall Center and also Night to I and Center yes. Hall said in general. But um but that that was, you know, when I knew nothing about queer community and was just discovering who I was, 
center in Halstead was like, just like when you Google search, like <laughs> LGBTQ center on Google, yeah. like center in Halstead pops up. So that's the first thing I saw. Yeah, I, I remembered like, because I, I came back to the, came back to the States from Korea at that time. And I was thinking, I, I believe I was approaching my thirties and I was like, you know, I'm not quite comfortable in my own identity. And, you know, having a space like I2I that uh, had these, had these intersectionalities within our members was very important, very validating to be a part of. So, um, and how do you feel that I2I in many ways helped you become uh, who you are several years later and especially in validating your own identity as being queer, trans, uh, Asian American? Yeah, uh, I think it was vital for me personally. I, I, I think, I don't know if I2I was the first one, but it was either one of the first or maybe like the second one I went to. and. You know, I went to a bunch of other LGBTQ like coming out groups and things, and just like like general trans queer like community groups and social groups, and uh, yeah, I didn't I didn't really feel that um, how do I put it? I still felt kind of othered in those groups, and I didn't really understand why. And it wasn't until you know like I went to more eye to eye stuff that I was like, oh, I get it. It just it really is a different experience, unique experience being queer and Asian. Uh, and just the intersection between those two identities and, and just the culture that a lot of us grew up with is just a very different experience. Um, and it wasn't until I found like I2I and queer, queer Asian API community that I really felt like I had uh, a home or that I really felt um, like I belonged. Yeah, I remember how vital it was because, you know, our upbringing, because I think we both grew up in the suburbs, right? Because I know I grew up in the suburbs. You yeah. grew up in the suburbs, right? Me too, and- yeah. And, you know, my best friend at the time came out as gay, but he was also a white cis male. And I remembered, like, being around his friends. I just didn't feel like there was something that was still missing, right? And there was still something that was obviously different, that he was able to have the comfort. I mean, this is not a knock on him by any means. It was kind of like his experience was more accepting from his own peers and his own family. Well, for mine, it was a much ingrained difficult conversation to have and mm-hmm. you know and i don't know if this is a comfort i don't know where you are in your comfort level i'm bringing this up but with your family was this a very hard conversation to even have i mean oh how hard was conversation to have and and with being in these spaces did you still feel the need to have your family you know validate uh your identities yeah um yeah, I don't think I came out to my family for like a full year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half or maybe even two years after I started to come out to friends and started going to like I2I and stuff like that and started actually transitioning. Um, yeah, it was a really hard, long process. It's still a hard, long process, you know. Uh, and I feel like part of that definitely is because of culture and Asian culture and, and uh immigrant culture and specifically Asian immigrant culture, um, I think makes things more complicated. Not to say that people of other cultures or, or European Americans don't face similar difficulties, but it just it is a very, there's things about it that are unique to the Asian immigrant experience. Right, absolutely. And um, and I remember like right around that time you started, I, I know you've been performing uh, in the past, but you started to make your own music, you started to, um, you started to 
get involved with performing while you were going into medical school, which yeah. is pretty rad, which is pretty rad. And I was just very curious about uh, about your background in music. What led you to become a musician, singer, songwriter? Yeah, uh, I've been doing music pretty much my whole life. I mean, that's something that was like the one constant in my life. I mean, I played uh, guitar and band since you know I was eight. Nine, ten, I think I started playing around eight or nine, and I've been playing in band since I was in like sixth grade, so like 10, oh, like 11, 12, 11 or so. So I've been playing in, you know, groups of various forms, and I studied music in undergrad. So, um, you know, that was a very natural outlet for me. Uh, I started the Supernova stuff, honestly, mostly just for myself. I, you know, uh, I was writing those songs kind of as therapy for myself. I, I you know, I thought there was, you know, maybe someday but it wasn't definitely wasn't the goal initially when i started it was just i start i wanted to write songs i wanted to have an outlet process my emotions around transitioning coming out through music which was very natural for me and then you know it was only through the urging from some like friends at the time who i showed the songs to and they were like you know you should release this this is really good and i was like no i don't you know i had so much internalized transphobia i was like oh, who's gonna want to hear this like these songs about like you know, like uh, a trans woman singing in a deep voice is going to be so putting, you know, this is where I was at the time, you know, the internalized transphobia. Uh, but eventually they're like, no, 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 you should put it up, you should put it up. And so, you know, I, I eventually put it up on Bandcamp and, um, you know, got a surprisingly good response, even with like no promotion. Uh, shout out to Bandcamp, which is such a, you know, stop yeah. of the Indian underground music community for that. But, um, and then more more importantly, it was, just, it was really fun for me. And uh, I got out of it just as much, um, as I put in, which just on a personal level. Um, so that's why I kept doing it. Yeah. Were there trans uh, queer artists that you looked up to um, in the process of being, in, as you were going into your uh, music musical ambitions? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, you know, I think Laura Jane Grace, for sure, uh, was someone who I heard about when I first started transitioning. And, you know, you know, by that point, I wasn't listening to a whole ton of punk rock music and her music isn't totally my style, especially now. But, you know, just seeing her do her thing, like being an open and proud uh, transgender woman and singing in, uh, you know, a deep voice was very validating for me. It was like almost like she gave me permission to do that, you know, where I felt like it was felt so at the time felt so foreign and weird. Um, uh, uh, and, you know, like her, she did a Rolling Stone interview where you know, they ask her directly about that, you know, like, oh, like, now that now that you're a woman, uh, quote, mm. uh, they're like, do you feel the need to, like, change your voice or your singing style or your music? And she's, and she said flat out, no. She's like, I like the way my voice sounds. I like the way my music sounds. But I would ever change it just because, uh, you know, I'm out as a woman now. And I, that was very empowering for me. And I really mm. took that and run with it since then. Yeah, I remember watching your first performance. I think it was at uh, at the I'm I'm losing the name at the moment here. Mm-hmm. At least it was the first show that I've seen you perform at. It was in Wicker Park. It was the arcade. Oh, the Emporium. The show. Emporium. That is correct. Yeah, I, I remember think it was the second second or third show I ever played. Yeah. yeah. As, I mean. And I, and it was when you released your uh, debut EP, uh, Slender Dysphoria. So yeah. what was that whole process like um, as you were, I know you just touched up on it, but uh, to not only just release this album, but to perform on stage and to work with the vendors and the venues yeah. to get you to be uh, performing? 
um, yeah, it was really exciting. I, you know, having, I was a professional musician for like most of my life before that. So the actual performing part of it was pretty natural. You know, I've been, like I said, I've been playing guitar on a stage for, since I was very young, but, uh, I guess the more, uh, I guess nervous part of it was, was just being very open about being queer on stage, which was very new for me. So, um, but I don't know, I, I, maybe just because it was mixed with something I already loved so deeply and was somewhat familiar to me, which is performing music, it felt more exciting than nerve wracking, um, though there, of course, was a little bit of both. Uh, the actual process of getting into it, uh, you know, I'm very blessed that living in a city like Chicago, it has a very, very big and open and welcoming arts and music scene. And, you know, the scene is almost as big as the, you know, the, the big cities like New York and L.A., but yeah. much more open to indie new artists. So, like, I I think I just met some people through, you know, Liz's friends and through this, like, I did a volunteer for an organization called Girls Rock. It's a rock and roll summer camp for girls and LGBTQ youth. And someone there connected me with someone. And so, you know, that person connected me with someone. And then I just started getting to play shows. So um, it was a very easy, natural uh, kind of startup for me, thankfully. Yeah, and and I remember like you shot your first uh, music video, "Nights a Bitch." Yeah, and I remember you gathered all the queer trans uh, POC folks in your music yeah. video. That must have been so liberating to also to not only bring your art but to also give platform to other queer trans artists of color and I thought that was a very powerful message and to show what the power of solidarity looks like and the beauty and that and the art and the, and the art that you're sharing um, I thought that was very powerful so yeah what was that process like for you and, and the experience and the takeaway of you know working with all these uh, artists of color especially queer and trans folks uh, I mean, it's just as you said, it, it was ex extremely uh, validating and liberating and, and fun. Uh, you know, it, it was, it, you know, like I was still kind of coming to terms with who I was, but kind of getting there. But just being around all these trans and queer POC was an amazing feeling. Um, you know, we, we didn't go in with much of a plan. I mean, we had a budget of zero dollars. Oh, wow. <laughs> we, yeah, it was it was a completely DIY volunteer run production. Uh, you know, I was working with a videographer who was like a, at the time a student at North Park University who just reached out to me on like Instagram or something and was like, hey, I'm a student. I have access to this like university video equipment. If you ever want to work together on a music video, you know, it'd all be just like talent for talent. No money would be involved. And I'm like, yeah, totally. And we met at the Julius Meinl in, in uh, <laughs> like Lakeview and mm. talked it over and uh, got volunteers just through like Facebook and through people we knew. And I, I think the most money we paid was like $40 for a couple pizzas or something to feed everyone. Wow. Then everything, everything, like we had volunteer makeup artists, everyone brought their own clothes. We did a lot of the, uh, you know, like the buy and return. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on record. Lots <laughs> 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 of store clothes, you know, and we just shot on the street and we got it done in a couple months. And, you know, like there's certain things, you know, there's some, some things I wish we could have done better if we had a budget or if we had more time or you know more you know experience but considering where we were at artistically in our in all of our careers and the the lack of budget i think i'm very very proud of what we made and um i, I was just so happy with, with the whole the whole experience 
I think it's beautiful because it, it created a community. It really gave uh, all of you like the space to like to uh, share and to you know be in your feelings and to you know celebrate and mm -hmm. be in this resilience too. So I, I think it's incredibly powerful. I mean, this is what happens. This is what you yeah. get three dollars for, and a few pizzas would get you. Is <laughs> um, Thank you. That's so glad. Thank you. I I mean I know that um you uh that. Uh, that you perform all the instruments and the music that you make. It kind of reminds me of how Prince, when he first started out, when he, like his first two albums, where he played the entire, like the instruments in his albums. And, yeah. and I was curious to know, like how many instruments uh, do you play? Like what was the, what's the process like of having to come up with this music? Cause I'm no musician, but sure. I cannot imagine how, challenging it must be to do it all by yourself and have you also started working with other um artists as well because i know collaborations is not something that you do very often mm -hmm. yeah my... yeah it's challenging but it's, it's so much fun i i you know so in, uh your first question you know i don't people ask me a lot how many instruments i play i really only play probably like three instruments which is guitar drums and piano but through the magic of technology and MIDI, I, I mean, if you can play piano, you can play an instrument, right? Because you, everything you can sample. You can sample horns, you can sample drums, you can sample synthesizer, you can sample percussion. Um, so all the instruments I play, I usually, I do through MIDI, um, which is like the electronic, you know, sampling of instruments to play through a computer. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, it's so much fun for me because I played in so many bands. I played in, I don't know, close to like 30, 40 bands in my lifetime. And I love music and I love writing, but the most frustrating part about bands was, you know, communicating the musical ideas and getting people to play, you know, both agree upon a musical idea and to play it the way that you want it to sound. And it's always a compromise, just like relationships in real life, right? Like you almost never, I mean, some people are lucky to have like, you know, that, you know, like the Elton John, Bernie Taupin, like perfectly in sync where you, you just right. got these other ideas, but most people don't get that, right? Most people, you have a compromise of like, oh, roughly what I was thinking, and then they, they bring their own flavor. But I, I'm kind of selfish in that I always want, like, I always knew exactly what it wanted to sound like, and it was always so difficult to convey that to other people. So to be able to sit down and get the sounds I want myself and construct the whole song myself and make all the creative decisions is a blessing that I am so glad that I live in the technological age where I'm able to do that because that that is the most fun part for me that the hassle for me was having to negotiate and compromise um so for me it, it's a challenge but it, it's really the best part of being a producer and being a musician today in my opinion and and like this year I you I actually I listened to American Queers your second EP mm -hmm. and I remember listening to the first day. It was it was during the summer. I was driving, and I was blown away by the minute the, I listened to the first track. Mm -hmm. I didn't stop. I mean, it's very rare for me to skip songs, but that was the one album mm -hmm. that really stood out for me this year. I mean, oh good. It became it became one of my favorite albums. I think you are aware, well aware of um, my fanning over the over American yes, Warriors. Thank you. It's, it's an incredible album because my first thought on it after listening to it was it's very anthemic, it's dark, it's seductive, mm -hmm. there's accessible, it feels accessible, but at the same time, there's complexity. Mm -hmm. And how would you describe 
going into the making of that album and what was the difference between making this album versus where you were at when you made Splendor Dysphoria a few years ago? Uh, yeah, it's um, it was a little different. So Splendor Dysphoria, you know, as I said, started out as songs that were kind of therapy for myself. So they were a little bit more introspective or more uh, maybe a little bit darker overall and just kind of more just nebulous. Um, and I knew I was kind of going, I wanted to like have this like these like kind of pride songs. Um, but I, I wasn't there myself personally. Like when I wrote those songs, I was still coming out and coming to terms with who I was. American Queers is emblematic of where I grew as a person, where I was much more confident in who I was, being more loud and proud. And I want to reflect that in the songs. And so, um, as you said, like I wanted them to be accessible. I love pop music. You know, while I love the, you know, like the obscure references and the rock lore, like I really wanted the songs to be clear about what this was about, that these this is a queer album, that this, these are queer pride songs. These are the songs that you want to listen to to just feel good about yourself as an LGBTQI person or someone who can relate to those themes. Um, and so uh, I wanted to bring that to the album and also bring some of the musical, lyrical complexity of, of Splendor's Foria and as an artist to the songs as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I like all of the songs equally, but if I have to choose two or three songs <laughs> that do resonate uh, a great deal, I would say Power, American Queers and Shot in a Pill. And I believe you performed Shot in a Pill at the Encapio Awards because I remember I the guitar riff. That guitar riff, that guitar solo at the end was powerful. And you know, like being, me being a big Prince fan as I am mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and loves, there's nothing more emotional to me than hearing a powerful guitar solo it, it just has its own language and mm-hmm. and the way you did it just it's hard to describe because you have i mean i'm saying this to everyone you have to be there to see her perform this because you have the guitar you're playing it behind <laughs> your back you were just <laughs> just in your in whatever feelings that you had in that moment but yeah mm-hmm. i gotta say those three songs were if I had to choose, those weren't ones that uh, stand out to me. They're they're so memorable, but all of them are equally memorable too. I mean, I don't think I could go wrong with them. But um, it's hard to pick, it's hard to pick out those songs that I thought were my favorites. But would you, how would you describe Power, American Queers, and Shot in the Pill? What was the process like in making those in making those particular three songs? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, well, first, I'm glad you like those songs because I also like those songs, but uh, those are usually the ones less talked about, usually. Uh, when really? I do things. Yeah, usually, and the most played ones are actually the others Glitter and Blood, um, uh, uh, Serotonin Serenade, uh, yes. and uh, which I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about all of them, but uh, yeah, Power is, the, you know, to me, is really the heart of the album. Uh, of course, then also American Free is the title of the album, but you know, it, it's the most explicitly like this is a gay queer anthem song. Like this is like the parade song for me at least. Um, uh, and you know, there's you know, like I wanted to hear more songs where you know it's not just a queer artist singing a song. It's like we're it's a song that explicitly uses the words gay, queer, trans, and it's explicitly about being proud of who you are. Um, and so, you know, that the, the music comes to it, that's very celebratory, it's very 
dancey. It's like a kind of like a, in some ways, kind of like a party song as much as I'm able to write a party song. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, so that, that to me, that's kind of one of the most emblematic songs on the album. Um, Yeah. And American Queers is in a similar vein. It's interesting. American Queers and Shauna Pill were both written around the similar time as Splendor's Story, like pretty much right after I wrote that album. I the first two songs I think I wrote after Splendor's Story were American Queers and Shauna Pill, um, and so they're kind of in this in between emotionally for me. But um, also, you know, again, pretty explicit. Shauna Pill is maybe like the most uh, like direct direct I. And with lyrics about emotions on the album where it's like I'm singing directly about my experience you know so the song's called Shot and Pill <laughs> you yeah. know it's pretty explicitly about trans physical transition physical transition experience um that being said I, I always emphasize that and I use Shot and Pill as an example that while I'm very much you know queer pride trans pride and explicitly trans music you don't have to be queer or trans to relate to these songs because these themes are universal, right? This idea of being who you want to be, this, this idea of being authentic to who you are despite pressures from your family, from society to, to do like the status quo. These are things that you can, that I think apply to people who are completely cis heteronormative as well, right? Whether it's being your your, your personal identity, whether it be in your relationships, whether it be in your occupation. Um, and Shauna Pill is one of those ones when I play and I kind of make that clear, people come up to me, people who aren't queer trans and say that they, you know, oh, I'm really able to relate to this because, you know, like, you know, like this this job I really my dream job I wanted to do, but I wasn't doing because of like pressure from my parents or like you know moving to a new city. These things, you know, these are these are things that we can all relate to. And again, why the fight for trans rights, for Black Lives Matter, for all these things yeah. don't belong just to those groups. It's because those things affect all of us fundamentally. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I yeah I remembered hearing Shad and the Pill uh, like going off of what you were just mentioning. Those songs are also those songs, again, are very accessible in many ways. I mean, it's about creative liberation. And that was like my takeaway after listening to it. It felt very empowering. It felt uh, validating, especially when we struggle as a society to deal with the um, the archaic, the fascist society that we're living in. Uh, and And... And that music is also rooted in survival. It's rooted in resilience. And that that music, the music that you've been creating embodies that culture of resilience, of that celebration that is needed to keep us moving forward. So kudos for that amazing album that you put out. And with with that said, so I know I've talked about this with you before, but are you looking to, I know you're performing at several shows locally here. Do you see yourself doing a national tour uh, for this album? I I am. I used to think I, that I wasn't going to. Uh, and it was really rooted in a lot of uh, fear, anxiety around kind of like the you know, transphobia, uh, gender discrimination present in this country, even in today. Uh, you know, for me, it was like, I did was plan on touring because as a solo act, I'd be traveling mostly by myself, most likely. And the thought of just driving through parts of this country by myself made me nervous because of what kind of discrimination I might, I might encounter. Um, you know, when places that I don't have the 
liberal protections of a major city like Chicago through most, not that there's not obviously discrimination here, but you know, through most parts of the city that I inhabit where I, I feel pretty safe um, from trans, transphobic discrimination. That being said though, you know, I think maybe just I've come farther as a, where I am as a person that I, I feel a little bit better about traveling through the country. And obviously most places that are gonna book me, a trans woman, uh, probably are gonna be pretty accepting spaces for the most part. Um, I have a couple of like one-off dates next year. I'm playing one in Philadelphia, possibly New oh, York. Wow. Yeah, and then um, uh, one or two others that are have yet to be confirmed. But um, yeah, I'm definitely going to try. Uh, it is a goal of my next year to kind of travel and play more places and reach places that I don't normally reach just being in the city of Chicago. I hope it. I hope it comes through, and I'm glad that you're working towards. Uh, idea of touring because I believe that this album especially needs to be heard in different uh, audience spaces and uh, and also since performing uh, live the last few years what was it like performing in front of an audience especially among queer and trans audiences what were the responses like and and what connections have you felt in performing these songs to those audiences and even to cis hetero spaces I, I, I presume yeah uh, I feel very blessed that the responses have been either good or outstanding. Uh, you know, whenever I play largely queer and queer POC spaces, I mean, the response is very, very, very good. It's, it's honestly the response that I would have, you know, being in the audience, not like necessarily being like for myself, but just like me as a listener of music, like I am so hungry for positive, you know, powerful queer POC music that when I hear similar music, I get very excited and I just feel so energized. So I, I'm very lucky in that most of those spaces have a response that the same response I would have to other queer POC musicians. Um, surprisingly also for even for cis head spaces that I've played in, the response has largely been good. Uh, you know, outside of maybe one or two little things here and there, uh, the, the responses even amongst cis head spaces has been very, very, very good. If I don't mind asking, what are those one or two things? If I don't, uh, yeah, I, I, so I won't, I won't name names. I don't want to throw any dirt. I, I try to keep everything <laughs> very positive with everything I do. You're a different kind. You're a different kind of Gemini because I'm, because I'm that Gemini that's going to be like, oh, you know, this. Is, <laughs> this very subtle manner. No, there. I see you. I can be shady too, just like, oh, just not too. right now. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so yeah, I won't name names, but there's just like one one spot that I, I played that I, I feel like, you know, I didn't really, really connect and, you know, people weren't people weren't really into it. And that and that's fine. I mean, you know, that as an artist, I mean that's that happens no matter who you are. I don't think I don't know if it's I don't know if it was transphobic, because no one said anything to me. No one spoke to me. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say it wasn't. But um yeah, I mean it happens. I mean even no matter who you are, I mean that you have gigs like that. So I'm lucky that it was only one or two out of the many shows that I played in the past two years or whatnot. And also, uh, more recently, you graduated with a medical doctorate degree. And I was wondering if you can kind of share that experience. And, and are you actively involved in the medical community? Because I remember you were, I think before you had finished school, you were working uh, at Anne-Louis Hospital, if I recall. Yeah. So I was wondering if you can, you know, shed some light about that uh, part of your work yeah so yeah i've had quite the securitist life path, both occupationally and a lot of what 
yeah, so I, I went after undergrad, graduating from music degree, I went to medical school. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I'll say this, I think, you know, I went to medical school for a lot of complex reasons, you know, like, I, I was in music school and I thought I was going to be a musician and then, you know, it's kind of getting burnt out from just being, just being a jobber and doing random music gigs. And then it just so happened around that time that like my cousin is a surgeon and he's just someone, one of the few people in my family who I had a relationship with and I looked up to and kind of told me about his job. And, you know, I've always wanted to do something that was like meaningful to me and obviously help people. So there's, there's one like good reason I went to medical school. Um, but, you know, to be fair, looking back, like, where I am now and being honest with myself, I think a large part of it also was that, you know, around the end of undergrad, I kind of started to realize that I was uh, trans or that I might be transgender and that, you know, this is like coming out as a transphobe might be something I do someday. And I, you know, I had at that time so much internalized transphobia and I, I, I was like, well, I'm going to, if I'm going to come out, like I'm going to be this like bottom rung of society. I'm going to like have to face all this horrific discrimination and rejection from everyone. So I was like, oh, I better do something that is undeniably useful to society so that people will respect me as a transgender person, which in my mind at the time was like such a, you know, like such a shameful thing to be, you know, I don't think that anymore, of course, but at the time. Uh, and so you know, I went to school and um, eventually kind of like worked through that internalized transphobia. And I was like, hey, I don't need to do something crazy or achieve anything to just human respect from people as a trans woman. I can just be a trans woman living my life. Um, and so, you know, I took some time off from school and um, that's when I like some of the music stuff happened. And, you know, I, I didn't hate school. I, I liked it for the most part, but as I got more into it, it's one of those jobs that like, you know, as anyone might guess, being a medical doctor, a clinician, is something you really can only do if you know that's exactly what you want to do with your life or that's like your one passion life. And, you know, like that's the only thing that you want to do um, for the most part. And so I realized slowly that that wasn't really like the only thing in my life that I wanted to do. I had other interests. I wanted to do music. I wanted to have balance. And um, so I left. Yeah, like as you said, I left school for a little while to think about it. I worked at Lurid Children's. LGBTQ clinic. I came out and transitioned. Um, and by the end of that time, I realized that, you know, I liked medical school, but I, being a clinician wasn't for me. So I didn't want to give up my music career, which was kind of, you know, happening at that time. And so I went back to school and finished. Uh, and instead of going to residency and clinical practice, I, I actually went back to learn children's and worked in medical research, which is what I do now. Uh, and it's kind of a nine to five, so I can be able to do music and wow. continue that. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a journey that you've had, especially in the in the medical field, but also tying it to your own coming out experience and how that has helped you to kind of work through to navigate through that uh, mm -hmm. process. And where do you see your creativity and and ambitions taking you on your next journey after mm -hmm. after you, uh, you're done performing for this album? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well. Um, it's funny you brought up the, the music video. Uh, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, uh, to do another music video next year, um, nice. which is in the same, yeah, I'm really excited, hopefully, fingers crossed, that in the same vein of the Night's Bitch music video and that it's going to be an all-queer, predominantly POC music video cast and crew, hopefully. I applied for a D-Case grant that was like the Chicago Cultural Arts Center gives away funds for local Chicago artists to fund projects. Oh, that's amazing. 
Yeah, so I'm hoping, again, fingers crossed, I won't jinx it, but hope they all actually have some funding this time so it can be bigger and better. Yeah, so you have to spend $40. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I think, I think, uh, I think yeah. it's going to be more, I think especially now that you're becoming more known, I think that the asking price for whoever you're going to ask would be like more than $40 and uh, 50 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We can, yeah, we can have a lot, a lot more pizzas. Um, <laughs> and hopefully we'll have somebody. And then, of course, and so then I can compensate people in the video, um, which is what I, which I wish I could have done the first time. Obviously, I didn't have any, the, the funds to do it at the time. Uh, this time, if I do it again, of course, I'd want to compensate our queer trans cast and all the people working on it for their yeah. time. Um, and just be, to be able to afford to do things bigger and better and more spectacular. And um, so that's the goal for next year. Hopefully, hopefully that'll go through, but I'm still applying for it now. So, yeah. And um, I'm still. Uh, I know we're going to be wrapping up shortly, but uh, so where can we find you on social media? And yeah, where can we find you on social media? And what's uh, and what other uh, works that you're? I know you were just talking about the music video, but what other projects are you looking to take on, or like any other um, creative uh, ideas? Yeah. Um, so uh, creative new. Um, I am trying to expand a little bit. I know I talk a lot about being a solo artist and loving being a solo artist, but I am trying to kind of make it a goal to do more collaborations in the coming year and in the future. Um, just kind of expand my horizons, work with other local queer artists. Um, I used to make a lot of instrumental music, so I'm trying to like get back into that as well. Uh, there's a new um, Showtime series coming out next month that my music's going to be in. Uh, thanks to Lily Wachowski, who is uh, a local Chicago legend, of course, and she found me and is using some of my music for that. Um, so you'll hear some of my music in that show. Um, so kind of hoping to get some of that kind of collaboration as well between different musical fields. Uh, as far as where you can find my music, um, you can find all, uh, all of it on any of the music platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, Tidal, Deezer. Um, it's Supernova spelled with a silent K in the middle, uh, Super K-N-O-V-A, um, Super K-N-O-V-A uh, music. Uh, same for all the social medias at Supernova Music. Where did the name Supernova come in? Like, what was uh, the inspiration behind your state, your artist name? Yeah, uh, so it was, uh, you know, I was trying to come up with a and when I was younger, I used to love stars and space, and I thought I wanted to be an astronomer, a cosmologist, and uh, so you know, I was just thinking about things like like astral, um, you know, celestial, cosmological things. And a supernova is the last, most energetic explosion before the death of a star, um, and so that I, that kind of sent resonated with me of just like, you know, like living your best life and you know, really, really giving it your all and um, shining as brightly as you can because of our limited time. And it kind of gets into that little bit of like dark, <laughs> almost like, uh, you know, existentialism in there too. So it was, it, that just really resonated with me. That's wonderful. And also big shout out to uh, your partner, Liz Fang, for the beautiful artwork um, yeah. that she's done for your album covers and, uh, and the uh, promo shoots. Yeah, she is an incredible artist photographer she's, I'm, I'm. yeah she's well she inspires me every day i i think she's one of the best artists in the city of chicago and i'm so proud oh yes oh yes yeah. 
Yes, because I think you two are like such a powerful duo. I mean, I see, you know, I see like the artwork and it's just, it's memorable. It's memorable. It's powerful. And I love the colors too. I mean, I'd say to anyone who hasn't seen your album cover, just look it up and you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, I also, um, lastly, I wanted to say something because um, like when we were coming out, I've always wanted, I wanted to thank you uh, personally because you've always been very supportive of me and you've been very supportive when I was doing my storytelling uh, a few years back. And, you know, and as you've become, and as you've become more busy with your projects, mm-hmm. you've been giving back to our Asian Pacific Islander LGBTQ plus community in Chicago. And I think it's just so beautiful to see you giving back to spaces like I2I and Capia, uh, Tricone, um, and just giving all these queer trans POC voices an opportunity. And I think that's really awesome that you're doing a lot to uh, help uplift that um, message and our narratives. So, and but but you do it by uplifting your narratives, and that's very inspiring to me. And it's very inspiring to a lot of folks who've come across your music. I've told friends about your music, and they were just blown away. I mean, you've gotten some fans. Thank you. Um, so I don't mean to put you in that weird spot there, but yes, I gotta tell it like it is. But you know, you yeah. really. You've really come a long way, and I'm so proud of what you've accomplished the last few years. And can't even wait to see what the next several years are going to look like. Thank you, thank you, Randy. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm happy to give back in any way I can. I I I feel like I don't do enough to be frank with you, frank uh, to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, any opportunity I have, I'm, I'm I always try to spotlight queer, trans, POC, Asian, API um, voices any way that I can. And that's that's what keeps me going. That's what makes this music so fun, what makes it so powerful, why I keep doing it. And it's more than just, um, you know, leisurely hobby. It, it, it really mixes everything together in a beautiful way. Um, so yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you know, thank you again for, you know, joining me here on your pod, on my podcast here. And, and, and also, really the best of wishes to you on your next creative journey and also uh, with uh, promoting this wonderful album called American Queers, uh, which you can find on Spotify, Apple Apple iTunes, um, and any other streaming services. So please check it out if you haven't already. Um, but you know, Ellie, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for I really me. appreciate it. So best of luck to you and we'll be in touch again. Absolutely. All right. Take care, Ellie. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that is all for today. Thank you for listening. And be on the lookout for future episodes. So follow me on The Bunby Chronicles on Facebook. Or you can follow me on Instagram at bunby underscore chronicles. Thank you again and looking forward to 
sharing more with you.